Good morning. Today's scripture is going to come from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 8 through 11. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kayla. So we know that one particular verse. We, we see it all the time. We hear it all the time. We're going to really look into that today. But last week at the beginning of the sermon, I touched on the idea of keeping things within their proper context. All right. And that is so important that we that we do that, especially when it comes to the word of God. Uh, there's a historical context. There's a literal, you know, literary context that we tend to lift things out of. And, you know, we live in a day and age where we lack where there's, there's a lack of context going on. And it seems and a lack of context seems to be the preferred method of presenting ourselves and communicating to each other. We prefer this kind of short-term language, right? A short form of language. You see on Twitter, they only allow a certain amount of words to, you com to communicate your point. And you want to get straight to the point. Well, if you're only allowed a certain amount of space to communicate your point, it lifts things out of context. You're almost forced to um, speak out of context, regardless of the truth. And that's the day and age that we live in today. And you see all this, you see this all the time in the news and social media uh, where bits and pieces of information are lifted. They're literally lifted out of their context and the other stuff, it's important stuff, it, it, it's kept hidden away from what they're trying to say. And they do this in order to advance agendas, to get their point across. And, they, you know, and when you hear this, you receive this information the way they want you to receive the information, um, but, and it leads you to believe and think in a certain way. Okay? And it's all about agenda. And when we receive this information and things are left out, Okay, we, we have room to find out what is really going on, and you start finding out little bit, bits of more information that give the whole picture. You're, you're discovering more context, aren't you? And when you discover more context, um, what, what happens? You begin to discover the truth, the truth behind what is hidden. So when proper context is revealed, the truth is revealed. They go hand in hand. And when you lift things out of context, by essence, you are knowing only a small part of something. I can't emphasize that enough. You don't know the full meaning of something. And what that ultimately means is that you don't know the full truth when things are taken out of con uh, context, no matter how good or how bad. You just do not know the full truth. And because we live in this this time when things are typically lifted out of context, you see it on a daily basis, you have to answer the question, do we care? Do you care about context? Because we live in a culture that seemingly doesn't, you know, doesn't mind that context is taking, you know, things are left out to advance agendas. 
Do you care about the whole picture? Or here's the thing, is ignorance bliss? The, cho the choice is yours, really. And today's scripture, scripture passage contains a verse that you know very well um, that is notoriously taken out of context. It's taken out of historical context. It's taken out of a literary, literary context. And I want you to hear it framed around the question of whether or not we care about what is really going on with this verse in Scripture. And again, it reads, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. You see, this verse, is, it's full of hope. And it has the word prosper in it. Other translations use the word welfare. And just like everyone else, I love those words. Because they point to flourishing and thriving and doing well. And that is something that I believe we all desire. And it states in this verse that God has plans to prosper me. Finally, something in scripture that's speaking directly to me. Right? Close the book. I don't have to read anymore. It says so in Scripture right here. God has plans to prosper me. God is all for my happiness. God wants me to be rich and flourish, and he has plans to make that happen. God wants me to have this job. I don't need to work for it. God has determined it to be so. God wants me to be loved by everyone, which is why God has plans to make me popular, even famous, I think. God wants me to have that house, that car, that status, even that person. Yeah, that's what this means. It says so in Scripture. And God forbid anyone come in here right now and just lift anything I just said out of context, right? That will be the last time you see me. But it's done all the time. We need to consider this. When we take this scripture or any scripture out of context, it's all about our plans. We flip it. It's all about our plans, our hope, our prosperity, our welfare. It's all about me, 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 me. But what about God? That's where we believe this word comes from. It's divine. What about God? What about what God desires for me? What about what God desires for you? What if God asked you what you desired? Have you ever thought about that? If you had the opportunity to just um, sit face to face with God across the table and he just comes right out and asks you, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? How would you answer that question? What do you desire of me? Because God is constantly asking that question. What I want to do right now is I want to take a moment and picture a person that you're in a deep, loving relationship with right now. Just take a moment, picture that. It shouldn't take, take but a moment. And imagine yourself sitting with them face to face and you ask the same question. What do you want from me? See, there are certain things that you don't want to hear when you ask that question, right? Face to face. What do you want from me? 
You don't want them to say, I want your things, right? I want your stuff. I want everything that you can do for me. You don't want, you know, that's the story of the prodigal son. You don't want them to say that. It is highly insulting, and it cuts right to the heart. What do you want from me? Your stuff. I'm just waiting. (laughs) I can't wait. All right, how am I doing? Am I still on the list for, you know, when you kick it, (laughs) right? You don't want to hear that. What do you want from me? What you want them to say more than anything is I want you. I want your time. I want you to care. I want your love. And you want them to freely answer that. That is so important. So when God asks you what you desire, perhaps he wants you to say, I desire you, Lord. Most of all, more than anything in the world, I desire you, God. Yes, I want your blessings. Your blessings are amazing. But more than that, I just want you. Set in proper context, this passage is all about God and his relationship. Relationship with his people. And his plans were ultimately to bring his people back into a right and loving relationship with him. A place where they would desire him. Where they could answer that question, I want you. And when they reached this place of desiring God, God would then shower them with his blessings. He would provide for them. That's the plan. Because you don't prosper and provide welfare for those that you are having a poor relationship, do you? You don't reward them. You wait until the relationship is right, and then you bless them, and then the blessings come. Well, the context that this verse is just set against, uh, that's, you know, historically set against, covers a period in Israel's history where God's people once again went astray. And throughout the book, God is continuously warning his people through his prophet Jeremiah to turn around. Turn around from your sinful ways and remember the covenant between You and God, the people and God. And the people didn't. They kept living sinful ways. Rejecting the covenant. And not living into the people that God called them to be. So God did exactly what he warned them he would do. Surprise. God sticks to his word. Amazing right there. See, God, because they kept on their sinful ways and didn't turn around, God exiled. He cast out a portion of his people out of Jerusalem. Not all the people, a portion of the people. And this was accomplished through King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who attacked the city and then took a portion of the Jews with him back to Babylon. So now you have Jews in two different places. You have Israelites in two different places, in Jerusalem, okay, and out in Babylon. And again, Jeremiah, he was one of the ones left behind in Jerusalem. Now, apparently, there was still communication between Jeremiah and the exiles, and word got back to Jeremiah, okay? Word through a letter, all right? Okay, because the Wi-Fi was really bad back then. They couldn't just send email. It was terrible all the way around. They were waiting for it to be improved, okay? So word gets back to Jeremiah that some of the prophets in Babylon, Babylon were telling the Jews that the exile would soon be over. We're not going to be here that long. 
We'll be able to return back to Jerusalem and everything is going to be good. God is not going to continue to be angry with us. And that simply wasn't true. And so Jeremiah sent a letter to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, basically telling them that you're not coming home anytime soon. You're there for the long haul. You're there to stay. So you better settle in. And I'm quite certain that wasn't good news at all, was it? That's not what they wanted to hear. But check this out. God fills their hearts with true hope and he, and he, and by saying this. And I want you to hear the, this passage with all the heartache of a God who longs for his people to say, you know, to say, I want you, God. I choose you, God. Because a lot of times when we read God's voice in the Old Testament, it's a deep, strong, angry voice, right? It's the Old Testament. Moses, listen to me. I am your God. We put that voice to God. But you can't do that with this passage. Listen to this. These are God's words. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. That's the proper context. Now that you have the proper context, do you see now how this very famous verse is all about the restoration of our relationship with God? It's about relationship. We tend to make it about other things. Does that matter to you now that you know the context? Does, does it matter to you? Or did you like it the other way? The way you thought before you knew the context? Well, it sounds better the other way. I like that. It speaks to me more. But this is the historical context. This is what God, God is saying here. And I'm sure the exiles in Babylon preferred to hear what the false prophets were saying, that everything was going to be just fine and they would be back home soon. I'm sure they like that a lot more than what God was saying through Jeremiah. It's not over yet. Settle in, but know that this is part of my plan to restore you because I love you. You are my children. That's the harder way. That's the hard word. Our way has the propensity to fill us with false hope. It really does. That's what the mis misguided prophets were doing to the people. They were speaking an easy word to them. They were telling them what they wanted to hear. Well, that's not much different than here today, is it? We do that in this world, don't we? Tell me what I want to hear. Lie to me even. I love it. Make me feel good. Because we love to hear good things. We love the feel-good message. Everyone just be happy because Christianity is all about feeling good. There are no tears in Christianity, no way. Everything is beautiful, everything is lovely. So what can I say to make y'all happy? Oh, I know everything is going to be just fine. Go on with your day. We're good to go. Again, our way has the propensity to fill us with false hope, but God's ways always fill us with true hope, don't they? might be a hard word, but it's true hope. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. Well, let's talk Bible translation for a moment, all right? Because these words are not the original words. We have to look to the original words of the Hebrew, right? And today we um, read from the NIV. And I chose this translation on purpose because it uses the word prosper. Now, before I get into this, I'm telling you, I love all the translations, okay? When, they, when these theologians get together, they put forth words that will cause you to do some thinking for you. Let's lead them in this direction. Well, I think that's wonderful because it promotes some thought, but they're actually telling you what to think, okay? And to me, when I read the Bible, there are certain passages that in, they, they invite you to think rather than tell you what to think, okay? Um, so instead of going to the translations, let's bypass it and let's just go straight to the Hebrew, okay? And if you study etymology, that, you know, I, I looked at the original meaning of these words and this is what we arrived at. Again, this is on the website. I encourage you to look at it um, sometime this week. Well, the, the Hebrew text uses the word shalom here. Shalom instead of prosper, okay? And, pro and shalom means peace and fullness. It's a state of being where everything is good. Think about the most beautiful relationship you have with someone and, just, and you say everything is complete, there's nothing missing. That's a state of shalom, okay? And that's really important. The other word that the Hebrew text um, uses that you're going to see is um, instead of plans, it, it translates as thoughts. One sounds a lot more, this is what I'm, you know, what's going to happen, where um, the uh, is the makashavot is the word for, for thoughts that we translate as plans. But I want you to hear this. Here, here's um, what the translation is. Jeremiah 29:11. Well, well, first, let me read the NIV first again, one more time, and then we'll go to this. Um, NIV, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You ready for the Hebrew? Okay. Um, the Hebrew text reads like this, for I know the thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think that I consider toward you, says Yahweh. Says God, thoughts of shalom and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Sounds a lot different, doesn't it? See, God's desire is to bring us into a place of shalom, a place of peace with him. This verse is all about relationship. It's not about things. Even more so, this is telling us that God thinks good things towards us. For I know the thoughts, I know what I think toward you. And when I think, I think good things about you people. I don't think evil things. See, the, the word evil in um, Hebrew is ra'ah, ra'ah, right there. That means evil. It means evil, nothing else. It doesn't mean harm or, you know, destruction or this. It goes right to the source, evil. God does not think evil thoughts toward you. And because of that, you have a future and a hope. A future and a hope in the new job, the new car, the new house, everything that I ever wanted? No, a future and a hope with a wonderful, peaceful relationship with God, an abundant life that we are all invited into through Jesus the Christ. That's what this verse is getting at. Are the scriptures being opened up to you right now? I hope they are. 
What about our blessings? There are blessings. This verse implies blessings. God blesses us, right? Yes, but I want you to know this. Your love of God must come before your love of his blessings and what he can give you. A lot of times we take God's blessings and we turn them into idols and we end up worshiping the blessings and not God. That's saying, I want your stuff, God. I don't want you. Can't you just step aside so I can have all your stuff? Your love of God must be the priority, must be the priority of your heart. Listen, we're all children of God. And that is a wonderful, beautiful thing because God will always take care of his children, always. Sometimes we don't know what that looks like, but he always takes care of us. And as God's children, he loves to bless us. That's what parents do. There's a certain stage of being a child where life is about receiving things. Oh, that's a great stage to be in when you're a kid. I can't wait, right? And, he, and here's the thing, we love receiving things, and, you know, but as parents, we love to give those things, don't we? You see that on birthdays and celebrations where, like, we give, and it fills your heart with joy to see your child just really, you know, be so thankful for that, you know. But here's the thing, that can get harmful after a while because children who are constantly receiving and never giving, see, receiving and giving, in return, end up spoiling the relationship. They're, they're spoiled themselves, but they end up spoiling the relationship because they are spoiled. And the whole relationship spoiled. How do you bless that? So what we do to combat this is, is we teach our children to express their love beyond receiving so that they can become children who give. And through giving, the relationship deepens because both are actually expressing the love they have for one another. Your child is now growing up. Your child is now expressing, receiving, and giving. And that's a healthy relationship. That's shalom. When you long to give and you do receive and it's loving, that's a sign of a healthy relationship. So that leads to this. What kind of child of God are you? What stage of development are you in? Are you in the receiving stage or the giving stage? Is your hand always out? Are you growing up? That's the question. Are you growing up? I'm basically asking where are you in your relationship with God? And I pray that you are moving toward that place of shalom, being brought towards that peaceful relationship. I want to leave you with this, this question to reflect on. We're going to um, use this to move into a time of prayer. And again, um, you know, picture your relationship with God, and he's sitting down with you face to face. And he's asking you, what do you desire most of me? How would you answer that? Is it enough to just desire God? Is it enough just to be in his presence? Or are you looking for something more? So that's really important for you to know. Is it enough to be in relationship with him? Is what God is asking.
What do you want from me? Take a moment, bow your heads, and I'll do the same with you. Loving, holy, loving God of relationship. We are with you, you are with us. And we are telling you right now, yes, this is enough. It is enough to be in your presence. Just like it is enough to be in the presence of your people with each other. Just like it is enough to be in the presence of the people that you bring into our lives the relationships that we have. Because you teach us to be a people and you call us to be a people that do not look to other people as a means to gain things, but a means to engage in a loving relationship with each other. And that should be enough that when we look across the aisle and when we look across each other, we say, what can we do to help? How can we love each other? These are the people that you call us to be, a people that say it is enough to be with you, God. That's what we desire. And then the blessings come, but they're not for us only. You bless us so that we can go out and bless others in love. Father God, we thank you for your scripture passage today. We thank you for the historical placement we thank you for its place in the scripture and we look to it and we say, yes, God, bring us into that right relationship with you. Guide these people, bless these people, love these people, nurture them, strengthen them, teach them, live in them as you always will be according to your promise, the promise that Jesus promises us, I will be with you always. And it is your son who taught us that beautiful prayer. He said, when you pray, pray these words. Our Father, 